Chapter 1 November 1195 In which Crowner John is called to the shore. He should never have been at sea this late in the season. The coroner's deep voice competed with the wind, whistling past the ears of the two horsemen. They waited on the seaward end of a long ridge, high above the beach, while a third man laboured up behind them, his pony trudging wearily after the tedious journey west from Exeter. Not this far down channel, now that we're well into the autumn, agreed his henchman, a huge dishevelled Cornishman astride a large brown mare. Gwyn of Polruan had ginger hair poking from under his shabby leather hood, and a bushy moustache of the same colour hanging down on either side of his mouth. All were damp from the spray and fitful rain, that half a gale was hurling at them from the west, under dark clouds that scudded across the afternoon sky. "'Are you sure that's Thorgill's vessel, Crowner?' asked the thin figure on the pony, as he pulled alongside them. Thomas de Payne was the coroner's clerk, his sallow face looking as miserable as the Dartmoor pony on which he sat side-saddle like a woman. "'Of course I'm not sure,' snapped Sir John de Wolfe. His meagre patience was worn even thinner by almost two days riding from Devon's county town. "'But the bailiff claimed that it was, and I see no reason to doubt him.' Gwyn, having been a fisherman farther down the coast, before he became Sir John's bodyguard, considered himself an expert on things maritime. At least he knew more than the other two, and now he pointed with an air of authority down to the mouth of the river, where the low tide had exposed a broad expanse of sand. It lay about a quarter of a mile below them, beyond the steep slope of coarse grass that ran down to the rocks at the water's edge. That cog is just like Thorgill's, though it's too far away to see any details, he declared, but it could well be the Mary and child Jesus. At these holy words, Thomas de Payne crossed himself reverently, as he did many times a day. That bailiff said that some of the crew have perished, but we must hope that God decreed that our friend was not one of them, he piped his squeaky voice contrasting with the gruff tones of his companions. They looked down through the rain to the beach at the foot of the bluff, where they now sat on their weary horses. The hull of the boat lay on its side, its broken mast digging into the sand. The heavy surf had pushed it up to the high-water mark, only a few yards from the foot of the low cliffs. "'Just as well there are no spring tides at this time of the month,' bellowed Gwyn above the wind. "'Otherwise she would have been battered to pieces on those rocks.' The coroner grunted, his favourite form of reply, and continued to study the vista below. He always liked to get any new scene firmly fixed in his mind, before speculating on what might have happened. In front of him, a stretch of sand, a few hundred paces wide, joined the mainland to an island, 
which was now accessible across the beach until the tide rose again. It was only a few acres in extent, the rocky base rising to a low hill covered with sparse turf. On top of it was a stone hut, hunkered down against the gales that so often threatened to tear it from the small islet. To his right, the southern coastline of Devon stretched far away in the direction of Plymouth, the cliffs visible for miles between the squalls of driving rain. This whole coast from Dartmouth, sixteen miles behind them, right down to Cornwall, was indented by a series of fjord-like river valleys that cut into the coastal plain that lay below Dartmoor.